unique time for me uh, because I I planned to go to seminary and they quit taking money on scholarships, so I couldn't go. So I had to do something. So um, I decided to coach. Where all the, I, I wasn't making a lot of money as a pastor, but I wanted to make some big money. So I became a uh, football coach, which is such a lucrative profession. <laughs> but every time I get where I speak and I'm in the last session, I think of one special night that occurred with me at Leesburg. We were playing uh, in the state championship and um, or trying to get to the state championship, and we were in the semifinals, and we were playing a team and um, that we weren't supposed to beat. It's kind of like being a Gator. And um, I just had to speak that out in love. And, um, and so, um, and we were ahead. We were ahead, um, I think, seven to six. Okay, and so um, there's two minutes left in the ball game, and they had a quarterback named Cottrell. We were used to who were playing. Cottrell, by the way, was one of those kids that was killed on a plane that was flying from Marshall. He was on that plane. And uh, the baseball field in Eustis is named after him. But anyway, uh, it's a close ball game, and, and I'm the defensive coordinator, and I was very mild as a coordinator, and um, – we were trying to stop them. They were driving down the field. And Cottrell was just throwing the ball here and there. And, and uh, I was just screaming and hollering. And, and uh, we had, like, finally down to about 55 seconds. And they had the ball on our 35. And uh, I was so afraid they would score or kick a field goal and win. And uh, I was jumping up and down. And I had a little linebacker named Sammy Rixey, who still lives in Leesburg now. And I remember this like ever. And I was jumping up and down. And uh, he called timeout. I said, son, have you lost your mind? We want the clock to run. He said, yeah, coach, but you're too excited, and I can't get the signals in because you won't calm down. <laughs> now, I want you to know as a pastor, I've had many a year where I felt like I didn't get the signals in, and people weren't listening. Now, to make a long story short, we won the ball game, but I still feel that way a lot of times when I come to this session, as we've done three. Um, for those of you who didn't come, I'm going to help you. We're here earlier. We took your names down, and we're, um, and we're turning you into God, and we would expect a larger tithe before, the, before you go home. But anyway, um, we start out talking about prime time. And we talked about the fact that everybody has been put in a position that is prime time, where you're supposed to make a difference in the world in which you find yourself. And uh, we talked about how you can do that. And in the second session, we talked about the mechanics of doing that. And I gave you an uh, account of Moses discovering the call in his life. And I said, uh, you need to discover that. If you're going to find your prime time, You've got to be in a relationship that is alive and real, and you've got to be seeking to be obedient, and you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to be part of your life. Well, today, this final session, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, the mechanics of that. So you have heard this, and 
hopefully sometime this week, um, you'll be sitting down and, and you'll find yourself saying, golly, I would really like to be in prime time. I would really like to be doing that which makes my spiritual life meaningful. And how can, we, how can I do that? What, what would it take for me to get there? So if you'll open your Bible to the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, which, by the way, is my favorite book in the Bible. I, um, somebody asked me why. I said, because it's the only book I ever preached verse by verse all the way through it. And so I study it so much, it's why I love it. And my major professor at seminary was a guy by the name of Frank Stagg who really impacted me. He was a Luke genius. And um, so I love the Gospel of Luke. And I also know that it is a gospel written by the only non-Jew in the New Testament. He was not Jewish, and uh, he was not a religious person. He was just an everyday, ordinary guy who was seeking to know Jesus better. And this particular passage we're going to look at today, I think, is a summary statement of the whole book, but it's also a good analyzation of what it means to find your prime time. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near And went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only one who visited Jerusalem who didn't know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up and condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he might be the one who would redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as they said. But him they did not find. And he said to them, O foolish ones, 
slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he had interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. As they drew near the village to which they were going, he acted as if they were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Catch this verse. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scripture? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. When they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. How do you do it? How do you become a person who's ignited in heart to proclaim the good news in your prime time? What does it take to do it? That's what we're going to talk about. May I pray with us one more time? Father, we'd really like for it to be real. I mean, we, we like for our faith to be ignited in our hearts. And that we might understand the mission and call on our life. And so we ask your presence as we study this passage. It's my prayer that above all else we hear in the word spoken, we'll also hear the quiet shuffling of sandal feet. And that in this event, you would teach us again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Gene Smith was an American historian. He authored a book that I really enjoyed because I was a world history teacher. And the title of that book was When the Cheering Stopped. The book tells of Woodrow Wilson and the events surrounding the end of World War I. At the end of the war, people were optimistic. They believed that the last war had been fought. The dream was that the world had to, at last been made safe. And the way had been paved for democracy and freedom everywhere. Woodrow Wilson paid his first visit to Europe. He was greeted by huge crowds. And he was cheered in every place he went. 
in many people's eyes, he was more popular than the greatest war heroes throughout the land. He was viewed as an icon of all hope. And all the cheering lasted for about a year. And then it began to stop. Political leaders throughout Europe were interested more than their, nothing more than their own agendas. Not a lasting peace. And the people slowly lost hope. On the home front, Wilson met opposition in the Senate. The League of Nations was never ratified. Under tremendous stress, his health began to fail, and in the next election, his party lost. Woodrow Wilson, who almost two years earlier was heralded as a hero, came to the last days as a defeated man. That's why I love this story about these guys on the road to Emmaus. I figured they had walked with Jesus. They had expected a kingdom, and they got a crucifixion. The applause had stopped. They seemed to be headed home. They were too upset to think straight. It was beyond them to put two and two together, and they slid down the slope to disappointment, to distress, to despair, and through that despair to what we call depression, the most common of all 20th century diseases. One in every four North Americans need to be treated medically at some point in life. That's exactly what we find here in Cleopas' story. It was now the third day since this happened, says Cleopas. Moreover, some women went this morning and they said that the tomb was empty and he was not there. They had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. These guys have always gotten bad press, by the way. Every time I've read their story, I feel like they were just a sorry bunch of bums. I've always said they didn't understand what Jesus said, and they were just sorry folks. But the more I study them, the more they intrigue me about who I am in the light of the resurrection. Carl Hurley, another one of my great theologians, said it this way, before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. And then at the end of the mile, you'll be a mile away and you have their shoes. <laughs> well, I want you to walk, in fact, about seven miles with me very quickly this morning. I want you to examine yourself as if there was a time in your life where you knew Christ, you knew about your uh, prime time, and you were trying to be like him, and then it happened. I don't know, a bad job, a bad marriage, a depression time, a disease, and you weren't sure what was going to work anywhere. 
One writer suggests the two men walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus were discouraged disciples who had no reason to be discouraged. They'd heard reports of the women who had gone to the tomb and it was empty. They had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. But their hopes had been shattered. They never understood that they were going to be part of sharing the dream. That they were going to be prime time. That his plan was that they would be people on a mission. They were among those that Luke described as hiding in the shadows and watching. And then it was over. And they left. They'd heard rumors about how women said they had seen an empty tomb. But they were on the way out of town. Perhaps they were frightened. If they're crucifying these people, we might ought to leave town. They were uncertain about their future. Perhaps thinking, what went wrong? What could have been different? Perhaps, but for sure, very unsure about what was about to happen. Barclay calls this trip a sunset that turned to a dawn. Confused, frightened men longing for direction in their lives. They're discussing what they'd seen and heard. I bet they said, we had it. We were going to have a kingdom. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. And Jesus asked them, what are y'all talking about? I'm talking about what happened in Jerusalem. And then they asked a very interesting question. Are you the only one that was there and didn't know what happened? <laughs> well, duh. No, I was there. I know exactly what happened. And I know what happened out of the tomb. And I know that God has defeated death. He is victorious. And we're on that team. I think that takes place in the journey of faith. These guys were discussing without knowing it why Jesus had come. He stretched their thoughts as he had done many times before. Don't you remember what the scripture says? Don't you remember all the Old Testament prophecies that you knew and understand? Even more, he longed for them to remember what they had seen. Don't you remember what you saw? The blind saw. The lepers were healed. Don't you get it? Or didn't you get it? He stays with them, and no, long, no doubt in my mind, they walk on down the road. And then all heaven breaks loose. He took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. They had seen that before, hadn't they? In the upper room, they had seen that. And I think when he broke that bread, they could see the nail prints in his hands. And it was coming to, to them. Maybe 
it was a look in his eyes. Maybe it was a tenderness that he communicated. Maybe it was his voice and the way it sounded. Or maybe it was all three of those. They recognized Jesus. And he was gone. After they had that bread and after Jesus had gone, verse 32 tells us, were our hearts burning with us, within us, when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Um, you ever had that experience? Where you remember the time that your faith was exciting. Maybe it was a youth camp. Maybe it was a revival meeting somewhere. Maybe in some Bible conference somewhere, it came across to you how powerful an event you'd experienced. I want you to notice what the burning does. It sends them back to Jerusalem, back to prime time. They're going back to start this thing called a kingdom. It was a tough coming together, but they were going back to ministry. When Jesus warms your heart and your heart starts to burn for him, you don't hold your hands up and scream and shout. Or hum courses. It's not about you. It's about the bride and the body. It's about ministry. It's about passion for the world. And you run to the task. You run back to Jerusalem. Because now you finally get it. You know what's going on. You know what's about to happen. And you know you're going to be part of it. Let me tell you three things right quick, and I'll get you to go eat lunch. We're going to be behind the Methodist anyway. (laughs) First of all, listen with your heart and not just your head. It's so interesting to me that they heard, but when they opened up their hearts, the truth of his word began to bring joy within their heart. Faith comes from hearing And hearing by the word of God. This explains why Jesus opened the word to these men. As the three of them walked to Emmaus. Their real problem was not in their heads. But in their hearts. They should have discussed the subject for days. But never understood how their life needed to be changed. What they needed was a fresh understanding of the word of God. And Jesus gave that understanding to them. He opened the scriptures and then opened their eyes. And they realized that Jesus was not only alive, but he'd be walking with them. What about you? Is your heart open to the word of God? Or do you just go through some mundane, casual dealing with the word? If we took a survey, all of you would say you believe the God, you believe the Bible. The question is, 
Are you open to the Bible? Is your heart being transformed? Secondly, I believe you'll understand prime time, not only when you understand the Word of God, but when you walk with Jesus and look for what He, see, what he sees. Don't you remember the Scripture He said? Don't you remember what I taught you? What Jesus was pointing out was that all the promises of God, probably starting back in Genesis 3.15, the first promise of a Redeemer, and traced through all the Scripture. He may have lingered at Genesis 22, which tells of Abraham placing his only beloved son on the altar. Surely he touched on the Passover the Levitical sacrifices, the tabernacle ceremonies, the Day of Atonement, the serpent in the wilderness, the, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, and the prophetic messages of Psalms 22 and 69. The key to understanding the Bible is to see Jesus Christ on every page that you read. The doctrine of prophecy. He taught these things, Luke 24 says, concerning himself. Third, the desire to spend time with him. What was his plea? Will you stay here with us? If you get close enough to Jesus, you'll get where you can hardly do without him. Someone asked me not too long ago, when I reached this stage of retirement or wherever I'm supposed to be now, what's the biggest difference now when you pastored or when you traveled as an evangelist? What's the biggest difference? I said, I can tell you this right quick. When I was a pastor and when I was an evangelist, I studied so I could preach. I had to have a sermon the next week or the next night, and so I studied so I could preach better. But now that I've gotten in the retirement stage, you know what I can do? I can get up in the morning. If I want to spend four hours reading Scripture and pray, I can do it. I can have time to do it. Senior adults tell me all the time, I don't know what I'll be doing in my spare time. I can tell you what you'll be doing. Spend more time in the Word of God. That which you missed, missed along the way. But also, what they discovered that day was His love. Because breaking that bread reminded them that He had been broken for their sins. Max Licato says, drink from that a moment. Drink deeply. It's worth a gulp. It's the time to let his love cover all things in your life. All the secrets, all the hurts, all the hours of worry and evil. He will cover that. The years you peddled your prejudice and your pride. His love will cover that. Every cross word, every cuss word, every harsh word, he'll cover that. That's the way... He operates. He'll return passion to your heart. He gave Nehemiah a fire for a forgotten city. He said, Abraham on fire for a land he'd never seen. He said, Isaiah on fire with a vision he couldn't resist. Forty years of fruitless preaching didn't extinguish the fire of Noah. Mark it down. Jesus comes to set you on fire. He walks as a torch 
from heart to heart, warming the cold and thawing the chilled and stirring the ashes. He comes to purge infection and eliminate your direction. Jim Crooks is a friend of mine. He'll be watching the streaming of this service. Everything I ever preach, he, he watches on streaming and calls me after it. He told me a story one time about two theologians discussing the resurrection of Jesus. One was Ron Sider, the evangelical theologian, and the other was a German theologian named Wolf, Wolf Hart Pannenberg. Pannenberg repeated at least twice in the conversation the evidence for Jesus' return is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's an unusual event. And second, if you believe that it happened, it'll change the way you do life. I believe that if you really allow the Holy Spirit and the teaching of Jesus to invade your life, you'll just be ready for prime time. And God will honor that. I know. Because that's what the book says. And the book never lies. Bow with me, hearts and head and life. And let's do business with Jesus for just a few moments before we leave. Father, we can fool ourselves, but we can't fool you. If there's anybody here in the sound of my voice, I pray for renewed touch of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That they might allow their hearts to burn with a passion for the story in prime time. I pray in Jesus' name.